Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning to you, everyone. Welcome back to the program. This is Good Morning New York, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco. I'd like to welcome our listeners from the United States around the world. We are coming to you live from Blastoff Productions in Times Square as usual. In the news today, New York City Real Estate Expo will hold its 8th annual event Thursday, September 29th at the New York Hilton Hotel here in Manhattan. Doors will open at 7.30 a.m. and you can visit until 5 p.m. The event will bring together commercial and residential real estate professionals for a full day of networking, panel discussions, and education sessions. More than 3,000 plus professionals have already registered for what has become the must-attend real estate event in New York City. Anthony Cazas is founder of the New York City Network Group and executive director of the New York City Real Estate Expo said, we are tremendously excited this year for the event. We have an impressive roster of key players lined up with major real estate publications participating, 150 plus exhibitors and commercial residential uh, real estate mavens ready to share their expertise with attendees. As I've mentioned before, I will be moderating a session on how to become a world-class connector uh, and how uh, we will grow and how that rather can grow your real estate business. So if you are interested in getting tickets at a 10% discount, you can call into the program at one 472 5788 That's a 10% discount on each ticket. If you call into the program today at one 472 5788 make reference to the New York City Real Estate Expo and this program, Good Morning New York. So we have a special show today, a special guest who's been here a couple of times before. Jeff Appel, he's a record-setting sales professional and industry-leading executive who was widely recognized as a singular figure in New York City real estate. I just love that quote. That's perfect. He is financial, and he's real estate knowledgeable as an uh, industry expert, consultant, and spokesperson Jeff continues to share his vast knowledge to create strategies for success with the real estate elite of New York City. We're happy to have Jeff here today. Good morning and welcome back. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to be here, Vince. Good to see you. So tell me about that recognized as a single figure in New York City real estate because, you know, every time I read that, I say it's true because you are so synonymous with this industry here in New York City, whether it's from a financial perspective or from a, a business of real estate transaction perspective, if and when your name comes up, it's like everybody knows who you are. Yeah, well, that, How do you that, get there? That, that's such a, a nice thing for you to say. Uh, you know, but the, 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 uh, the industry continues to evolve and there's a lot of new people in the business. And I do make it my business to get to know my colleagues, right? So I was... Born and raised in California, came to New York as an adult and came with a, 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 you know, a thirst and a hunger to understand the city and uh, really what makes the city go, a lot of people will say, is uh, the financial markets. And uh, I say quite to the contrary, it's real estate that mm-hmm. built New York. And so I was fascinated with the buildings of New York and I was fascinated with who lived in them and I fascinated with who was selling them. And so I just, uh, I got out and about and met a lot of people and uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of New York City in every way. And so, you know, as, I, as my knowledge grew about who was doing what and how transactions were happening, my background was in public speaking and education in California. I, um, I used that, that platform uh, to get to know the, uh, the industry insiders and 
brokers and salespeople. And uh, it's been a great, I've had a great time being part of the New York City real estate business. I think one of the things that separates you from from several other experts in, in our industry, and I know this going back 15 years ago when I worked for a company, my first real estate company, and you used to come and talk to us on a regular basis, monthly sales meetings, whatever. And I always remember saying the same thing every time you finish talking, man, that guy can talk, <laughs> but not BS talk, but talk with credibility and talk with, you know, with sensible things. And, and I grew up at IBM, so, you know, we were always taught to understand and appreciate good speakers. And so through my career after 13 years at IBM, you know, I became a big critic on people who can make me listen or captivate me enough that I'm going to pay attention. And so not many people can do that. And so I always remember that where you were concerned, whether you were talking financial, whether you were talking, you know, the business of real estate, whatever the topic was of that monthly meeting, you were succinct and made sense. So let me ask you this, as the, the expert and the coach and the advisor in this industry, how are we doing today? I mean, we've had quite a tumultuous, I'd say, 12 to 18 months. So when you say, how are we doing, the question is, we're not talking about the market now. We're talking about how is the real estate industry growing, changing, evolving. <clears throat> so I will say this, you know, I've, I've always been a believer that um, residential agents in particular offer extraordinary value to people. Now, granted, they come in a variety of flavors. And there are some extraordinarily talented, gifted, higher skilled agents. There are some good, solid, uh, you know, competent agents. And then there's a whole bunch of clunkers out there. But for the most part, um, you know, since the information age evolved into real estate. So in other words, information is everywhere for Correct. consumers and for professionals to, to distill. Um, Agents have had to offer higher skills, and and I think at least as far as New York, you know, the markets that I'm I'm fairly close to that I f- understand, New York, Los Angeles, um, some of the suburban areas outside New York, I think that uh, the the skill level and competence of sales professionals in residential real estate today has it's 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 been a sea change, mm-hmm. and they do now more than ever offer tremendous value. You know, uh, I've been yet as you have been. When you're uh, working as an agent for or advising a client, uh, I'm very comfortable in that role as you are. But when you become a purchaser or a seller yourself and you slide into that role, it's only then that as a professional, we really understand uh, the mindset of the buyer. And so the closer we can get to the buyer or seller, the better. And I've been in, I've been in both of those uh, situations as sellers and as buyer many many times. And so you know before I came into the profession, so that does lend uh, something to it. But you, you know peeling back the onion just a little more, you know we've been in sort of this flat you know kind of um, mode for the past I don't know year or so, eight months, a year where transactions are happening, things are you know uh, moving a little longer on the market. Um, buyers seem to have a little more um, you know say so in in pricing and in offers. Do you think, in your honest opinion, that we and we, we've talked about this on the program before, that we are in a buyer's market at the moment or at least approaching one from a serious you know, kind of outlook. Okay, so now we're going to shift to a conversation of the, in quotes, market. Correct. So New York is a, a highly segmented market. Um, there are, are, I would argue there are segments in the market that are absolutely skewed to the buyer having an advantage. There are segments of the market where clearly the seller has the advantage. I will say that more overall, 
this market feels more uh, normal, mm. to use the term, than this market has felt in the past. So we became very accustomed. For the listeners who, um, who have not transacted in New York, we became very accustomed to a market where you had literally moments to make a decision – um, that could be hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars being invested. And it became very common that that's just how it worked. And there was absolutely no time to really make a grounded decision. And you leapt in. So I don't think that that type of market is good for our industry. I don't think it, it helps promote higher skills. And I don't think that it allows buyers and or sellers, by the way, uh, the time to really make a grounded decision. So I'm, I'm very happy about the idea that transactions take longer. You know, as a practitioner or as a mortgage professional or as an attorney, it does um, uh, require that you hang in there and that you use your higher skills. Um, but I think that, that I think that overall, the decisions that are being made to buy are more grounded. And I think that while transaction volume is down, uh, part of that is due to a segment of our market, particularly at the upper end, where uh, it's a discretionary purchase, and those purchases are happening at a much slower pace, though they are happening. So um, uh, I feel like the market feels fine. I think that particularly since we're in a presidential election year. I was going to ask you about that. Particularly <laughs> since we have the Fed potentially changing policy, or at least looking to normalize uh, policy, particularly since we have all the geopolitical and geoeconomic forces coming to bear on the market, I think the market is, is doing very, very well. And, and I project, by the way, that it will continue to. Uh, you know, as well as, as I, that on the entry point market here in New York, which is really anything, really, honestly, anything under $2 million, it's, uh, it's a very tight market. Uh, it's very hard to transact because there's just simply not enough inventory. So at the upper end of the market, uh, I think that uh, you're going to have to prove that you have a value or you have some uh, array of amenities or some distinct characteristic of the property that makes it more desirable over others. But uh, we're still seeing transactions at the 20, 30, 40, 50 million dollar level. Um, I agree with you, though. I think, um, you know, when you said back a few minutes ago that it's more normal, I think, you know, a lot of us who have been in the industry for a long time have, you know, ridden so many different waves of frenetic and slow and this and that. And I think the normal market makes the most sense for, for most of us in this business because you can do transactions in a calmer way, in a normal way. And you're right. Uh, you know, I think certainly if things are priced correctly, uh, we're moving inventory. The higher end has taken a little bit of a hit, but as you say, it's discretionary. So, you know, I'm sure that will be back. But I think that overall, it's not doomsday here. I think we are in a good market and I think it's going to continue to only get better. But, you know, the naysayers out there are just, you know, skeptical when they don't see so many transactions happening at the same time when they're used to so many, they get a little nervous. Before we go to break, just talk a little bit about the cash buyers. You know, there's always been cash is king in this town and they've always made themselves a lot more competitive with putting offers in. Do you still see a lot of cash buyers Absolutely. out there? But by the way, nationally, the numbers on cash purchases are up nationally, reaching almost 45% of all transactions, all residential transactions. That's unprecedented. That mm-hmm. is, uh, that is a, I think, phenomenon that's here to stay. And uh, I, I think that cash transactions, by the way, are great for the marketplace. Where is this cash coming from? 
You know, people ask me this <laughs> every day. Are people just richer today? Or, I mean, Wall Street's doing fine. But, you know, certainly, you know, in this town, parents participating in the purchase for their children, they're either buying the apartments outright in cash or certainly give them large enough discounts. But where does all this money come from, Jeff? I well, mean, it's all I, over the place. I mean, well, sure. There's, in this town, you know, anyway. Well, look, this town represents, uh, uh, you know, the, the purchasers in New York City represent people from all over the country and all over the world. But I will say this, uh, everyone is sh- searching for yield today. Um, and there, is, there are very few places to put money that is feel safe, feel mm-hmm. safe, mm-hmm. It may, whether it is or isn't feel safe, that offers a return. And the bottom line is, uh, if you look at New York's marketplace, uh, you can use the Furman study, Furman uh, Center study as an example, and you look at the marketplace from 1974 to today, you know, New York City is probably up close to 700% um, over that period of time. And so it's a good hard asset. It is, uh, it's keep your powder dry. It's a, it is for people at a place where they feel safe uh, putting their money. Because I continue to, in my business, <clears throat> uh, outside of the show, I continue to see, I'd say probably 75% cash deals and 25% you know, uh, finance deals, and a lot of parents helping children, uh, et cetera. But um, it's interesting because you know, people say to me all the time, just how does this happen? You know, there just seems to be so much cash out there. And I'm going to talk a little bit later on when we get to uh, the next segment about you know, the extraordinary differences in salaries, for example, here in the metropolitan New York City neighborhoods than, you know, uh, elsewhere in uh, the country. So we're going to go to break. You're listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. A client gave me the best compliment. He said, I'm the MacGyver of real estate. True, I'm resourceful and reliable. It was during a short sale that involved two banks and a foreclosure. And it was during the financial crisis. I pulled every trick out of my hat and we closed the deal. He said, if I was ever stranded on a highway at two in the morning, you'd be the first person I'd call. (laughs) I am known for answering the phone at all hours of the night. But what he didn't know was that I've even helped a client change a tire. I'm Elizabeth Key with CORE and this is what I do. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back with Jeff Appel, our residential real estate expert. I wanted to just complete the thought we were talking about before the break about cash purchases versus non-cash. 
And Jeff was making a good point during the break that you can still be very competitive if you're not an all-cash buyer. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that it's it's easy to get discouraged as a first-time buyer in this market, whatever your entry point is. Um, you know, I, I, I do want to point out that still 40% of all sales in New York are under a million dollars. So let's start there. Absolutely. Second, of those under a million dollar sales, the majority of those are financed. So... I, I think it, I want to be encouraging to buyers out there who want to enter the market that you can win, but it's very important that you first get yourself educated through your agent or broker on what you need to have at the ready to be a bid-ready buyer. Second, that you work with a broker who is a fighter and who knows how to put your best foot forward in a, in a bid situation. Today, to be a a uh, competitive finance purchaser, you really need to have a bid package together. And a bid package means proof of funds, mortgage pre-approval letter, a real estate board of New York financial statement. For those outside of New York, a financial statement. Um, and, and potentially backup information on your income ready. Because when a seller, remember, sellers get excited when they have multiple bids, sure, or when they have a lot of people hovering around the property. But when the rubber meets the road, who actually put the work in to present themselves and give the seller the information they needed to make a decision? And I've seen many instances, I know you have too, Vince, where a finance buyer or a buyer that isn't all cash or, or isn't non-contingent can actually win a bid by putting their information on the table. Listen, we're going to talk about that right now because I think that's, that's 100% correct. And I think <clears throat> you and I know this that it's important when you start first start working with a buyer that you have your team in place. Whether they have people or you recommend people, whatever, but the team needs to be in place because as you just said, when you go to market and you go to put offers in, whether it's a competitive market or not, you're going to look much cleaner and you're going to look much more prepared if you have your stuff in line. So, for example, you decide to buy in New York City, some of your friends will be jealous uh, with envy that you have the financial means to handle a mortgage and associated cost, including maintenance fees and common charges, which people sometimes don't think that you know exist, but you do need to pay that on top of a mortgage. By the way, they only go up. And they only go up. <laughs> Over exactly. time, And yes. that's where a banker comes in to point these things out to them and the, and the real estate agent. Others will wonder why you are choosing to lock yourself down. After all, home ownership is not for everyone. Either way, if you're interested in buying a home or an apartment in this town of New York City... I, there's like a 12-step program that I say you've got to go through, and you just touched on it a little bit. And in, in from your your expert opinion, tell us a little bit about you know what this financial package needs to be or consist of before we go to market. And the broker is the real estate agent is comfortable with saying, okay, my client is qualified. Here's our credentials. Right. Well, uh, first of all, I think before you look at one property. Before you enter one property, you have to answer some questions for yourself. The first question is, what am I comfortable, what is comfortable for me to carry? How much am I willing to spend that feels good to me? And that can be very different than what you're qualified to spend. Mm -hmm. So uh, this is where I think people tend to start making decisions that aren't fully uh, balanced and uh, they get buyer's remorse sometimes mm -hmm. because they suddenly realize, well, I can do this, but I'm not sure I'm comfortable. So first, let's figure out what you're comfortable carrying per month. Then 
you need to get support on whether or not you're qualified for what you're comfortable carrying. And that means you've got to pull your income information together, your asset information together. You need to visit with a mortgage professional if you're financing. And you need to review with your broker your financial profile. Because New York is unique in that a lot of what you're going to be looking at could potentially be co-ops. And in the, the, uh, in the uh, circumstance of a co-op, you not only have to be comfortable, the bank not only has to be comfortable, but the board needs to be comfortable. When we talk about higher skills and agents earning their way, that inside information or insight of an agent understanding what a co-op board is looking for financially from a potential cooperator is very important. So once everybody's on the same page, this is what I'm comfortable with. I am qualified to finance what I'm comfortable with, and I am a good match for a co-op board or, if not, a condominium, then it's time to actually go out and look. And I think that um, every time uh, folks get out ahead of that, where they're looking before they're grounded in what they can afford, that's where disappointment and expectations aren't met because I've always said the worst thing a buyer can do to themselves or the worst thing a broker can do to a buyer is put a buyer or have the buyer find themselves in a circumstance where they cannot afford what they're looking at. Or even because they're not prepared financially, as you just talked about, you know, oh, let's just go look at properties and, you know, I'll, yeah, I'll get my act together quickly if I need to. And then, by the way, we find something and they say, okay, let's make an offer. Well, how do we make an offer when we don't have anything in order? It's, I don't know if you're qualified. It's I don't a fire know. drill. That's it's right. It's a fire drill. And, and then they get very disappointed when they lose out on the bid <clears throat> because too much time goes by to get your ducks in line. That's right. And so it's so important. And as real estate agents, mortgage brokers, anybody involved in a transaction in New York City, because as you say, it is so vastly different than anywhere else in the country, you've got to have this stuff in order. We, we can add to that, Vince, that at the t- you know, I, can't, I can't, cannot count how many times uh, clients have said to me, uh, well, we're just going to go out and look this weekend. I, we've got the information. We know where we're at. We're just going to go out and start our search this uh, week. And this could happen over months. Right. And I said, you need to be prepared that if you see something you like this weekend, that your team is ready right. to jump in. And many, many times this is what happens. They go out, they look, they see five, five uh, homes potentially over a Saturday and Sunday. And by Sunday night, they're sweating an offer because they, they've fallen in love with something. So not only do you and your agent need to have your act together with the mortgage professional, but you need to have a, have, you need to have a transactional attorney ready and ready from the first day you go out looking. So it's a very simple profit process. You'd be referred by your agent. You can be referred by others to, there's a, a panoply of great transaction attorneys in New York. Interview yes. them and find one that feels right to you. To explain to the, to the listeners out there who are not necessarily New York City savvy, and then for those who are, because we have a lot of mix here of expertise, but you know what, what the, the real benefit of this team is about, like you just said, the, the right um, real estate agent, the right banker, the right attorney, the right CPA, if, if, if that's a requirement because you're going to go into a co-op. How important is that, Jeff? And is, you know, in the competitive world of New York transactions here, real estate transactions rather here in New York, Explain to the audience out there why this team approach. All right. Well, let me let me give works. you. I'll, I'll try and because and it really give you does a, work. A visual. If you want to bake a cake, right? There you you go. can have the flour, the butter, the eggs. You can have the pan. You have everything ready. You've mixed a beautiful batter. It's sitting in the pan, but you didn't turn the oven on. Mm-hmm. So. These people all play a critical role in the process, and it's a multi-step process. It's finite, by the way. It's, it, it does end 
usually successfully, but you yes. need all the pieces to make the train go. So the attorney will step in immediately. First of all, for those listeners who aren't in New York, we do it a little differently here in that there is no written offer, written acceptance that becomes the uh, the underpinnings of a contract. contract right. There is a verbal negotiation, a verbal accepted offer, and then it goes to the attorneys. So uh, it's very important that those attorneys be at the ready. They're going to have to do due diligence on the property that the person is buying. They're going to have to come to terms with the attorney on riders to the contract and certain language that each each party wants to protect the other. That process can take a week to two weeks to uh, to take place. So you're going to want to have that uh, you know attorney that you're comfortable with at the ready. And when I say comfortable with, let's start with first thing. They pick up the phone and they talk to you um, because some of them are very busy. What a novel thought. <laughs> right. Just, just the same as brokers or mortgage yeah. professionals. You've got to work with somebody who gives you access and who is available to you. And again, you know, that, that's part of the teamwork and the team effort that works. And usually when the team works together over multiple transactions, it's kind of like a well-oiled machine. And I think, you know, there are people out there who don't understand that. And then I think there are people out there who really appreciate it when you say, do you have an attorney? Uh, no, but I'm thinking about a couple of people. Do you have a banker? No, but I just called in or right. online. I did this or that, whatever. Right. And I'm saying, no, 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 you cannot do that. It doesn't work. What are the, um, what are the rates like today? What, what, what seems to be the most popular you know, package today for, let's say, first-time buyers. 30-year fixed mortgage. Still. Absolutely, 100%. And, and, and they're at very near historic lows. We are still sitting at very, very low low rates. And, and by the way, you know, whether the, the Fed moves in September, whether the Fed moves in December, whether the Fed moves four times, whether the Fed moves eight times, we're still going to be at low levels. Yeah. So uh, as far as the availability of financing and using financing as an entry point into homeownership, it is a, it's a terrific time. It's not true that it's very difficult to get a mortgage. It's not true. It is a process, and it is a highly documented process, and it is regulated, and it is done with full transparency these days. So, again, if you're prepared, it is far easier than if you're not prepared. Jeff, how are developers doing today? You know, we, we've read through the, the past couple of years that the price or the cost of purchasing land to build buildings was completely out of control, very high. Therefore, the price per square foot on the flip side of that, when, when the marketing teams were selling them, had to be higher. Now we're reading things like, you know, property prices or cost are going down. Are developers reacting to that? Are they buying as fast? Are they seeking more finance? Not a lot of financing. How are the developers approaching this new land price? All right, so that's an extraordinarily complicated question, but I will say this. The it, the big developers in New York City that are still in projects that are out of the ground, that need to be completed, need to be marketed, in many instances, they are divesting themselves of sites. Mm. They are focusing on getting their, their uh, inventory and product finished <clears throat> and to market. But there is an interesting... Um, dynamic going on right now with developments outside of Manhattan in Brooklyn, still very, very hot. Anywhere basically that you can build and create entry point product or step up product in the market, there is still an enormous appetite for that. I think that in New York City towers, I think we're not going to see many more towers uh, once what's permitted and out of the ground is completed for a while. <laughs> a bit of a slowdown. Well, we, we, it needs to be absorbed, yeah. and it will be. Yeah. Uh, Vince, oh, absolutely. It absolutely will be. But, uh, you know, we built enough for now. 
So we'll see, we'll see what's next. I'm very excited about how we find a way to address, you know, uh, uh, housing for what, what I've always called mere mortals, you know, those who are working hard and doing well and have been priced out of, um, out of new condominium uh, inventory in New York. I was reading something this morning on Cranes before we went, uh, went on the air, and it said there's a, a glut of uh, apartments uh, happening in Brooklyn, all over Brooklyn, because I think 7,500 new units are coming to market between now and the end of the year. And I thought, wow, that's really, you talk about overbuild and, and, and absorption and, and the time it's going to take to absorb all of these units. And what is that forcing landlords in those particular cases to do, but offer concessions that they may not have had to do one month free, pay the broker fee, two months free, whatever the deal is, there are a lot more concessions going out there because there seems to be an overabundance of rental units. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, according to Cranes this morning. Well, rent, rent, rental housing, and they mirror one another in, in this respect. Whatever the acquisition cost of the site is, plus the cost to build, you still have to pro forma rent yeah. that makes the, the venture uh, profitable. So <clears throat> I will say this. The exciting thing, obviously, about any uh, boom cycle in real estate is it's trans- trans- uh, transformative. It changes and uh, creates new neighborhoods. It creates uh, new, new centers where people live. It creates commerce and everything else. Everything follows real estate. So if you've been out to Brooklyn recently, I mean, there are neighborhoods that are still evolving and changing in Absolutely. just extraordinary ways. It's so exciting to see happen. And um, the bottom, bottom line is for, for folks who have the ability to buy in New York, they're going to buy because rents are high. They want their money uh, being put to work for them. And so uh, what the stigma of, oh, well, it's got to be here, it's got to be there, has largely vanished. I mean, I don't know if you've, if you've seen this. I'm seeing people moving from downtown to the Upper East Side. I'm seeing people moving from the Upper East Side to the Bronx and to uh, and Queens. The, the, choice, <clears throat> the choices the past year that I'm seeing, excuse me, my throat is going today, but that I've seen is extraordinary. It is. It's extraordinary. It, it's it's you know, decisions that they would never make before. It was always uptown to downtown and then over over to Brooklyn because it was a little more, you know, she-she for a while. But you're right. And I'm seeing people going to the Bronx and going up to the Upper East Side where for the longest time people were saying, oh, no, 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 Upper East Side. Right. So I think, you know, it is what it is. But anyway, we are out of time for this particular segment. Um, you're going to stay around for a little bit? I think bit? I will, yeah. Okay, good. We're going to take a break. We will come right back after these messages. This is Good Morning New York and the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. One of the things that I love about my job is that every client's needs are different and every property is a new challenge. So recently I got a compliment from a young woman who we sold her $400,000 apartment in downtown Manhattan. And she wrote online, Patrick treated the sale of my $400,000 home as if it was a $10 million property. Do you have any idea how great that made me feel? I felt like a million bucks. Impeccable service designed for each client is what matters to me most. I'm Patrick Lilly with CORE, and this is what I do. In the spirit of Have Couch Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control, and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. 
The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we are back, and we're back now with our panel. Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com is here, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Core Real Estate, and Jeff Appel, our residential real estate expert, coach, and advisor, is staying with us this morning to continue through some of these topics. I just wanted to ask, Phil, before we went to break, Jeff and I were talking about the Brooklyn rental market seems to be, you know, approaching this glut situation with 7,500 units coming Mm. coming to market between now and I think I read the end of the year. According to Cranes this morning, landlords being forced to offer concessions, one month free, two months free, maybe LPs to to uh, brokers. Are you seeing a little bit of that in in your leasebreak.com business? Does it affect you at all, or what's what's the mm. what's the deal with overbuilding and rentals in Brooklyn? Well, I, you know, I, it's hard for me to speak about Brooklyn, just Brooklyn, um, because I'm seeing this in in the New York City. It's mm-hmm. a problem right now. The rental market is not as strong as maybe some people think. Um, Landlords are offering incentives right now as if it's the winter time, mm-hmm. which has not happened right. in, since I've since I've been in real estate. I mean, I don't except maybe during the financial crisis. You know, um, it's it's a little unusual. So if you go on to if you look at any building right now, not any building, most buildings there is un, <clears throat> an unusual amount of apartments that are available, especially in some of these more doorman, uh, yeah. full service buildings. Um, Brooklyn's having the same problem, and the in new inventory coming on in Brooklyn and Manhattan is not helping the problem. So, um, you know, on lease break, we're seeing a little more inventory. So things are sitting on the market a little bit longer. Um, you know, I think we see, we see it because if someone's trying to get out of their lease, if the market's really, really hot, the landlords often say, great, thank you. No problem. You know what? Don't even put it on the market. Don't try to market. I have someone I know that mm-hmm. wants it for $400 more, you know, right. for example, of course. Mm-hmm. but when the market's a little weaker, they say to the tenant, the burden's on you to try to find somebody. And of course, they're now competing, that tenant is competing with all of the landlord's other units on the market. And often the landlord will say, and we get this all the time, they'll tell the tenant, you could market it anywhere, but not on Street Easy. Or you know, they'll, they'll, they'll name the places that the landlord's marketing it because they don't want that lease break to compete mm-hmm. with their other units. So mm-hmm. yeah, the market's it's, it's, uh, surprisingly a little weak right now. I have some insight to add to that as well. I, um, I'm marketing 76 North 4th Street in uh, Williamsburg, the Lewis Steel Building. And, um, you know, we had, when I picked, up, I picked up the building about a month ago, and we had about 15 apartments available. We currently only have four now. And during that time, um, the incentives that we're offering is that the landlord would pay uh, the OP to me, so it's no fee to clients, and we give one month free. From there, um, I just had an exchange with the developer yesterday, and he's like, do you think we should be taking away the OP? 
And uh, I recently read an article on The Real Deal that basically talked about the the softening in the weak rental market. And I sent him the article with my explanation of where I think things should be. And I said, look, the reason why we've rented these out is because we're offering these incentives. If we're taking away the month free, then we're going to have to go lower on pricing. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking to refinance down the line, you know you got to hit certain numbers. So it's really important, you know, to keep the to keep that one month. You want free. the rent roll as high as possible. Yeah, exactly. Right. And you got to keep that one month free. The thing that is unique about the Lewis Steel Building is it's it's a you know old steel loft industrial conversion. So it's a very unique product from a lot of what you see in Williamsburg. You know, high rise towers, um, you know, doorman, and you know views of Manhattan, et cetera. It's all, it's all fantastic. But when you have a very specific product like that, you, you can kind of play with the market a little mm-hmm. bit. So I will see what happens in the next week or so. And maybe I'll toy with, you know, the, the one month free, mm-hmm. maybe taking it away. But as of right now, I think it's absolutely paramount for, you know, owners, developers to keep those incentives to make sure that they're, they're keeping their buildings occupied. Mm-hmm. It's, it's you know, when, when I hear this, I, I wonder if, is the rental market weak? Or is there pricing pressure in the market? And I think that's that, a good point. I don't think the rental market is weak by any means. I think that there's pricing resistance. And remember, if you're a renter, you are renting somewhere now. And the question is, do you move? Right. And you move right. for value or you move for amenities, right? Sure. So, uh, you know, to your point, when you're talking about keeping the rent roll high, uh, owners will do just about anything to book. A, a, a lease at a specific price point mm-hmm. for any number of reasons, financing, potentially a sale, et cetera. <clears throat> so um, my sense is, is that the more talk there is about the rental market being weak, the more landlords actually really like that because it pushes people out into the market to look for a bargain and you guys are delivering them. Sure. Because when you see an incentive to move, you take, uh, you know, uh, you get basically an eight percent discount on a one month uh, free rent. Uh, the market is there. I think that we are trying to push levels that are really unprecedented, and I think that we're being effectively doing it. You know, a landlord says, "Hey, there are twelve apartments in the building. They all leased at this price. This is the market." Right. Well, one thing to add to that, uh, I just wanted to say is that. <clears throat> I don't disagree with anything Jeff said, but the one thing I will add, this was surprising to me, is that I talked to a few brokers who, who specialize in the market of students coming into the city and renting to them. That's mm-hmm. a big part of the mm-hmm. summer market. That's a summer market. And they were telling me that the demand is a lot less. In other words, there's actually less people. And so I don't really, and we were trying to, as brokers, figure out why this was. And, and I was going to say, could, so what, what is that about? Because this is the season for is. students or graduates or whatever coming into the right. city, starting their career, starting their life, first-time apartments. What, what's going on? It's, I don't know. It's, it's hard well, for I, me. I, I, just, think what, well, I think what Jeff said about the pricing pressure probably attributes to that because I'm sure students are trying to pile more people into one apartment. Exactly what I was about to say. brings wow. down the demand. Exactly. Wow. Instead of going and finding their own apartment and saying, all right, let me get a one-bedroom or a two-bed with a friend, they call existing friends and say, hey, do you have a couch that I could live on for the next <clears throat> five or six months? Way, and the, I'll pay you $700. Okay, so with that wait, said, how many people can you rent, pile into an apartment, though? When the price to rent is more than the cost of student housing associated with the school that you're going to. Yeah. You just take the student housing. Correct. Right. True. Okay. Correct. If it's available. Here's another rental question. So my landlord charged a prorated broker's fee to renew my lease because two new roommates moved in, but he had nothing to do with finding them 
you know, you found them on your own, on your own network, uh, and also charged us for the application fees and credit checks. Is this legal? So, I mean, uh, you're already in the apartment, right? and your roommate's left, and so you go out and find two more roommates. Brokers tend to not get involved with this because we usually don't get involved in the, re- in the renewal process. Right. However, I do know of a few situations where a broker did charge, I mean, a landlord did charge. The way that landlords do this is that, first of all, I, I believe it's legal because the landlord has usually a real estate arm or a brokerage arm, and <clears> what <throat> they do is when it's time for the renewal, and by the way, this is rare. This is not something most landlords do. Most landlords do not charge a broker fee on a renewal but some of them will say you owe us a broker fee and you pay the brokerage arm of the landlord and I don't think legally you guys could jump in here I don't think there's anything wrong with that I'm not a lawyer but I don't believe there's anything wrong with that you have a broker that's charging a broker fee to, to, to get a new lease to bring uh, people's minds together, I believe that's legal. From my understanding, I think that is as well, if they have the brokerage arm. Now, a landlord yeah. can't be charging a broker for without that brokerage arm. Just Absolutely. saying, all right, well, you're going to have to pay me an extra. Absolutely. That's, I, from However, my understanding, not with that, You're right, but there are those sleazy landlords out there that will try and get across just about anything. Moving on, for decades, the real estate business has existed and fostered immense wealth, largely without technology. I came into the business when they just were transferring from index cards with listings to computers. So, and that's 15 <laughs> years ago. It's not that long ago. <clears throat> As a result, technology's integration into the industry has been slow. However, with the arrival of technology, the traditional role of the real estate agent is changing these days. More deals are getting done, and properties are more accessible than ever. To interested buyers, they can do lots of searches on their own. As New York City has traditionally served as uh, the hotbed for residential and commercial real estate business, I want to know how technology is helping you all in your businesses, or is it not? Are you still kind of old school? I'm looking at a lot of young people in front of me, so they're probably all on the technology bandwagon. What is it about tech that's helping this business prosper? Well, we were everyone looks at me. We were just we were just talking about how influential social media is, but at the same time, I think that all three of us are definitely old school brokers in a certain sense, and I think that we appreciate the classic, you know, details of the whole transaction. But I think there's a, I, I think that we've talked about this before. I think there's a limit, and I think that there's some great things as well. Like I think the whole virtual you know, tour thing with those classes is ridiculous. Like we've spoken about before, but some people love it. Um, I, I, I get a lot of clients who will <clears throat> look at a listing on street easy and right after the floor plan nowadays, you have a virtual, um, bird's eye view of it. <laughs> and they, they, they're, they're all confused. <laughs> they, they all say that they don't understand. And I have to say, I think that, you know, it's good to just stick to the basics, but, um, but I think it's great that, you know, people are spending so much time on technology in the real estate industry because it shows it's a great industry and it shows it's very profitable and and on the move. Outside of social media, I mean, we're talking about, you know, new ways of searching for listings. We're talking about emailing, you know, not too long ago, email was not the, 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 the choice to communicate. With clients, people and tell. Now we're I talking still, about text. I, mean, I think. I think we're talking about text. Yeah. I still say calling someone live in a transaction probably makes the most sense. But we all go to text. We all, you know, resort to uh, to emails because sometimes you have to. Our customers are very busy. We need to take a break. We will be right back. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
The Voice America Live Events page is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Okay, everybody, we are back with the Old Row panel today. <laughs> Phil Horgan from LeaseBreak.com, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Matthew Cohen from Real, uh, Core Real Estate, and Jeff Appel. You notice that our women are not here today. Perul and Deborah are off today. And our esteemed colleague, Rachel, has been gone for a couple of weeks, all for good reason. She had a baby girl hey, on Sunday. That's oh, finally, finally, finally had a baby girl, Isabel wow. Gunter. So we want to shout out to Rachel uh, today. Love you. We Congratulations. Love you, Rachel. <laughs> and we cannot wait to see you. Okay, so Jeff, you wanted to pick up on the last point that we Yeah, we were had. talking about technology and how it's changing or impacting the business. And I, I just have to say, Again, we we talked a lot in the first first <clears throat> half of the show about higher skills for for real estate professionals and what a value that is for consumers, buyers, and sellers. Look, technology has made the access to everything almost uh, identical for a pr- real estate professional and a consumer. So, who is the one that's going to distill what that information means? Now, an experienced broker in New York. Um, can take that information, has seen most of the inventory, can explain the nuances, because buyers, remember, never get to see the stuff. You can do a search on what's sold. You know what you know what it's sold for, but you have no idea what was actually inside the, the, the property. You have no idea um, what the building uh, systems are, what the management is, what the board is looking for. So I think that... Um, in the case of a couple of firms that are really leading the way in New York in, in trying to break that next barrier of, of using technology to get information out to people, I think that what we're doing is we are creating greater value for agents with higher skills to be of greater service to their clients. And I think it's very exciting. I, I couldn't agree more. I also think that we always talk about the topic of how useful a broker is and people who don't use them and how much we don't like that. But I think that instead of looking at it that way, from a broker's perspective, I, I take it as more of a challenge. And I think that it's great that all buyers have access to something like Street Easy because then if you are a tremendous broker, um, it says that much more about you that they, you know, they could 
technically do it on their own on street easy and honestly a lot of my buyers go through listings on their own and they find it and then they bring me into it because they know how useful i am at the point when negotiations start and i think that's where we are in this new business of real estate because Mm -hmm. technology is technology it always has been it always will be but the the buyers have become a lot more sophisticated because they have the access that they may not have had before but the smart buyers out there will realize that in order to take that forward and to be even more successful with the purchase ultimately of that unit you know they need to work with the expert the expert mortgage broker the expert you know real estate agent the attorney as Jeff and I were talking about before the package deal that really you know we make light of sometimes but it is it really is Imperative. All right, continuing on our series of neighborhood talks. So let's talk about Battery Park City. You know, I was just recently this weekend talking to a friend about it. It's always felt a bit separate from the rest of New York, a small town oasis at the tip, really the lower tip of Manhattan. But it's been there for many years, and people want to be there. And they actually, it's a destination, as we call destination neighborhoods. People seek out, you know, housing there, whether it's rental or uh, purchase. So what, what, I mean, what is the allure and and I'm passing judge, not passing judgment, but what is the allure of Battery Park City to some of the people that we've talked to, you know, through the years in our own business, whether they're customers, friends, family members, whatever. Did you or, say you were there? I recently? was not there, but a friend of mine this week. <laughs> he hasn't been there in twenty years. He hasn't traveled yet. <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll tell you. If, if I, don't, I don't cross yeah. the highway. Yeah. Well, look, if, if he doesn't I, get far. If you're there in the spring or the summer, it's amazing, it's gorgeous. It's, it's obvious why it's beautiful. Why the why it's uh, alluring. Some people so, call it the suburbs. I, mean, I, I call it the like, suburb of Manhattan. Yeah, I also think it's really similar to where I live on Riverside Boulevard, but because um, it, it's very far west, so it it feels like Chicago in the winter, but mm-hmm. in the summer it's Windy. gorgeous yeah but i think that it all depends on who the person is um it, but i think that it's appealing to a larger array of people now that brookfield is open because brookfield's yes, amazing it's amazing if anyone hasn't gone and the whole mall uber at retail, World Trade Center it's now. uber retail all about that i haven't gone but i have to check that out because i hear so much about that and listen it, it's really kind of spruced up that whole area but from a purchase perspective, and uh, when we and I, I have you know uh, work with clients down there. You know, we have to talk about, and we have many times in this program, land lease situations, and all of those buildings are on top of land that is not owned by the building. Therefore, your maintenance costs or your common charges, whatever, are significantly higher than others. As a result, the purchase prices are a lot less than you know a traditional something else in Manhattan. So there's the good and the bad there, and also attorneys really do not like. Anything to do with land lease, at least the ones that I deal with. And so boy. I think the, the attorneys that have problems with land leases, if they're going to be okay with the land lease, they tend to be okay. None of mine are. Well, I'll say the one, but the ones that do have a problem with, and a lot of them do have problems with land leases, but if they are going to have maybe not as a problem with certain land leases, it's the ones in Battery Park City because the city owns the land as opposed to some land leases in the city. And they would never do anything bad. (laughs) But there is a little bit more more consistency. Seriously. I mean, ultimately what the big risk in land leases is what's going to happen to the cost of the land, the rent of the land. But generally, if you're going to be working with the city being the the landlord, um, then it tends to be a little more consistency. So... Uh, I also think there's something to be said about aside from, you know, just the monthlies being higher in a land lease. I think buyers are more comfortable with Battery Park because they go into it thinking it's not just my building, it's my whole neighborhood. Like, I think that people get a little worried when it's just one building and as opposed to a whole neighborhood. Uh, uh, <laughs> I would say, first of all, it's uh, on a price per square foot, if you want to weigh and measure it that way, like a piece of fish, it's 
uh, expensive. It's not cheap or a value as, as much of a value as it used to be. It used to be, it used to trade at a, a discount because of the land lease. I think that's largely been sort of washed away. Price per square foot there is very high. The carrying costs, I would argue, are not necessarily higher than some other neighborhoods in New York. But look, on the land lease uh, uh, situation, the only concern about a land lease, because let's be honest, none of us are going to own these uh, the, the dirt that our buildings are on, we're going to leave this earth without owning them, right? Mm-hmm. So the bottom line is you want to be careful about land leases that you understand what happens at the end of the term of the lease. The convention out there now is they, they cannot be uh, based on a gross price of, of the land. They have to be indexed to something. And if they are indexed to something, I think that most attorneys will work through them and be able to assess the risk for a buyer. And not to say negative about Battery Park, but I have actually never done a transaction there. But a few months ago, one of my clients needed a four-bedroom. And so, you know, because of the size of the apartment they needed, they looked. we looked there. Um, and we actually got an accepted offer on something but then then we actually wound up closing on something in Tribeca because um people don't know about Battery Park City tax and mm-hmm. that's a huge thing mm-hmm. so this was a new development down there um called River and Warren but which is a beautiful building um so the buyer you know I'm assuming it was a it was a seller's cost because the buyer had to pay it um on the buy side but a Battery Park City tax is huge it, w- it was about it was over a hundred thousand dollars um yeah for for you know we're talking about seven million dollar range but still that's a big number it, for it, it, a it, sale side it's a big hit and yeah and a a lot of most people I don't think are aware of that. I only just became aware of that about a year ago after all these years in the business. And I also have not done any transactions on that. I've showed a lot, but we haven't really moved on anything. You crossed the highway? But here's Whoa. the but here's the thing. <laughs> I think it really depends on what you said before, Matt. You know, if you have if you have a big strong salary and you can afford to pay the monthlies in, in addition to your your mortgage but you don't have a lot of down payment money that may work for you because the cost of the apartment is a little less so you know there's always the flip side of something it may work from a, a, a math perspective and talk to your mortgage broker about that one because of the that makes sh- the most sense sorry to interrupt friends one of the thing I wanted to mention we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention that it is in a major flood zone so there are some people that are Absolutely. concerned about that I do have some buyers that won't want to buy there just because right. it's in a Flood zone area. All right, we have to move on. So the appetite for Harlem homes has largely been driven by price. As apartments in the area can be bought for half the cost of a comparable units in other parts of Manhattan. I don't know about that so much anymore. But land prices in the area also have been cheaper, allowing developers to charge lower rates. So Harlem has been red hot for a very long time. But in your expert opinions, for how much longer? Oh, does I it think, continue? I, th- I think a while longer. On and on and on. Oh, yeah. I think on 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 I think if um, if you go to a Jewish family um, Jewish holiday at, with my family, <laughs> you will you will hear from everyone that everyone's going to keep going up in the city, and that you know once they get pushed out of downtown, they're going to go to Harlem, they're going to go to Hamilton Heights, they're going to go to Washington Heights. Um, and it I was, think, it's already happening. Yeah, I think it's that been Harlem happening. Not, I, it's I just saw happening. like a, a one bedroom listing. I just got an email blast. For a one bedroom in a townhouse on 158th Street for like $2,300. Just like a rental list. It just crossed my mind. I was like, wow, that's high. Wow, yeah, I don't know. Fifty something street, crazy. I, I, I do a lot. I do a lot of business up there, and especially with investors. And I think that it's just you know. 
it's all about transportation. As Jeff said, it's all about the retail. There's major retail tenants that are going in there. Obviously, Whole Foods, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. Um, and there are a lot of conversion projects. So people can get that mixture of a new building, but it has that pre-war kind of townhousey feel. Um, I just I think you get a lot of you know, best of both world situations. And it, the, the one thing to say about that is, you know, sometimes <clears throat> we worry about these frontier neighborhoods because they tend to pick up, they're usually long in the cycle and they tend to pick up people that are on the margin that really just can't get in anywhere else. And what's happened now in, uh, going North in upper Manhattan, these are strong buyers. These are not, uh, marginal or fringe buyers. These are people choosing to live there, choosing to, to space or <clears throat> amenities over what they can afford somewhere else. And they're, they're solid buyers. The, these neighborhoods are forever changed. And um, it, it's very exciting up there. I, I mean, it, it, it is a great opportunity. All right, we have to end on that note. That is Good Morning New York for this week. The bro panel is saying goodbye for today. <laughs> no, bro. Yeah, Loved bro. you guys today. <laughs> Thank out. you so much. Thanks for joining us. You can catch the show anytime on podcast or on our website, voiceamerica.com or vincerocco.com. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us, and we will see you next time. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.